my I've managed to do this well. My laptop battery, my laptop needs plugging in. So I'm probably hold on. Now <laughs> get to see me. I'm probably going to move the laptop to the charger rather than save me doing two trips. Yeah, don't worry, I'll just sit here. We've just started recording, but good, very professional. You can feel the chemistry already, can't you? <laughs> I was simply pissed by the time the game kicked off. We're really gonna have to cut this. <laughs> We're definitely gonna have to cut this. But I feel we should get off this subject now, making me annoyed. I bet he's in your fantasy team. There goes our hopes of this being a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. Obviously, I don't want this call to do well. And someone who, you know, obviously hopes that it doesn't go well at United. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Lawrence and Ed podcast with me, Ed. And me, Lawrence. That was good. That was another, your response time was equally good this week. I've been practising all week. Well, we'll start with United this week, I think, <laughs> because, um, well, let's say, let's just say their brief title charge is, uh, is, now, is now duly over. Wouldn't you say, Lawrence? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously <laughs> nice of you to be so magnanimous and not at all gleeful about <laughs> United's result. Obviously, let's hope Liverpool go through the whole season winning every single game. Otherwise, you know, we otherwise, can't all support teams that, that are capable of that. No, I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Beating Norwich and Burnley, I think that should be worth three points oh, as yeah. a double rather yeah, than I mean, three points are, each. Neither of them are anything compared to the colossal giant that is Southampton. I did tell you, though, that Southampton would play better against United than they did against Everton on the first day of the season. And our avid listeners can go back and check that fact (laughs) if they want. But yeah, it was just, again, last week, I said I didn't want to go too over the top on United because I foresaw this performance around the corner as it so often is. None of the, the new signings started. It was a team that were at the club last season, but worse because even, you know, Rashford was out, so it wasn't even as strong as our best team last season. Um, yeah, and it's just a performance we've seen a lot from United over the last couple of years where at times they played some nice football. Up to the Southampton goal, United actually looked quite dangerous and played all right. And it thought like it was a matter of time before United went ahead and then contrived to concede a pretty crap goal with Fred dangling a leg to a shot that was going closer to the corner flag than the goal and somehow managing to divert it in off the post I think yeah and then from there you know I just struggled all jokes aside I I I actually did think that United were quite unlucky I, I agree I thought going forward particularly in the in the first half it was only a matter of time and I thought here we go again Southampton look really poor they look stretched they look just completely off the pace really compared to United I did think Fred was slightly unlucky I mean yeah you could say don't dangle your leg out but every defender does that they all dangle a leg out not quite as limp as that leg was but (laughs) I think it's just it just sums Fred up really and he's just lack of awareness on a football pitch because he he was positioned relative to to um, the striker in a position where if the ball hits Fred, it's not going in the goal because Fred is outside the post. So to just dangle his leg out, it just it was just it is a bit unlucky. But sometimes you bring your own bad luck on yourself, and unfortunately, that is one of the many poor qualities that Fred brings to a football team is to bring on his own bad luck. And yeah, it was just it's not the end of the world. You know, a point is is still a point. It's four points from the first two games. If United can beat Wolves, then you know 
two wins and a draw from the first three games when two of them have been away isn't isn't the worst start and United will play better than they did. But I think that sort of sets the tone for the season, really, that United are a team that can blow teams away. And then the next weekend can be quite frustrating as a fan to watch because they just don't click into gear for long enough. I was actually, interestingly, perhaps more impressed with Pogba this week than last week because whilst he was brilliant against Leeds, everybody knows he can put in that sort of performance. Against Southampton, the team weren't playing great. It, you know, they were pressing. Pogba often doesn't play that well when teams really press him intelligently. Um, but I thought he really drove United forward. Um, it was his work for Greenwood, Greenwood's equaliser mainly. And I thought he had quite a quietly impressive game, sort of the sort of game you don't often get from Pogba, where perhaps the, the highlights aren't there, but just consistently throughout the game, he played quite well. Yeah. I think the one, without being too doom and gloom about it, I think the one thing that I was surprised at was that when, when the Greenwood equaliser went in last season, I would be thinking, well, United are going to go on and get a winner. They're going to get, they're going to score possibly three, even four goals. But then there was a period after the goal where I, it looked like it was going that way, but then they allowed Southampton back in the game and they were, it's not that they were hanging on a bit at the end, but it did look like either team could grab a winner. And that was something that we didn't really see with United last year. We saw that ruthless comeback mentality, but it was just missing. And again, it's, I'm not saying that, that that means that it's not going to come back for the rest of the season. But certainly in that game, I did think that was missing as well. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think it's something we used to see a bit more under Mourinho and Van Gaal, where even if United had awful records when they went behind under previous managers between Ferguson and Solskjaer, but even if United did get an equaliser, they would then stop pushing. And I agree with you, sort of the five, ten minutes after Greenwood equalised, United looked like they would go on and win the game. And then they just gradually lost momentum and the performance gradually got worse until, you know, the last 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes, Southampton missed a great chance. And they really did only look like one team were likely to score a goal and it wasn't United. And I do think that somewhat points towards probably the main criticism or concern with Solskjaer as a manager is that he's not particularly good at proactively sort of influencing the game through substitutions. He brought Sancho on. I thought he could have brought him on at half-time, but he did bring him on relatively early in the second half. But then it was around the 70, 70th minute mark I was watching it thinking, this is exactly the time, just as United's performance started to dip, that you bring on another substitution, a positive substitution. Yeah. United had Jesse Lingard on the bench who came on but quite late. They had Van der Beek on the bench. They had players they could have brought on just to inject that momentum and just make sure that the performance doesn't dip. Um, and in the end, he brought on McTominay for Fred, which is just a like-for-like change. I don't know if it was forced through fatigue or injury, but it wasn't inspiring. And then Lingard came on in like the 83rd, 84th minute. It just, I think in that situation, a manager needs to, when he sees the performance of the team start to dip, you've got to be proactive. You've got to make changes and try and drive the team on. And Ollie isn't particularly good at that. And we've seen it at the back end of last year and in this game. Well, do you think it's perhaps because he still doesn't know his best team? Because what I had to check that Sancho was even on the pitch at one point because he came on and he looked lively for 
sort of two, three minutes or so. And then he just got lost in the game. And you thought perhaps Sancho is obviously a better player, much better player than Lingard. But perhaps Lingard had that sharpness in the Premier League coming off the end of last season. Perhaps he was the player to bring on first and then Sancho when the game's a bit more stretched. I don't know. But it just seems that because it's consistent with Solskjaer that he doesn't doesn't seem to get the subs quite right. Is it because he's not aware what his best team is? Or do you think it's just a bit of naivety because he's still not that experienced as a manager? I think it's I think it's not unfair to say he doesn't know what his best team is, but I think that more is reflected in the fact that he made some changes that he didn't need to make. The main one, Greenwood was excellent through the middle against Leeds. They're playing one game a week at the moment. You don't need to rotate. But for some reason, he put Greenwood out wide right to accommodate an unfit Martial. That yeah. sort of thing, I think, is a fair enough. Does he know his best team? What is he doing there? I think from the bench, I think it's more a case of a lot for a lot of his time at United, he hasn't trusted that the players he can bring off the bench are any better or anywhere near as good as the players in the first 11. So he's tended to stick with the ones he's got on the pitch. I think in this instance, it really is a case of if you've got options on the bench, just use them at that point. You know, Lingard had COVID. I don't know how fit he is, but if he isn't fit enough to do 20 minutes, he shouldn't be on the bench. No, I think with Sancho, I think it's just a case of he's he's had a longer holiday. He hasn't really trained. I think he started training a couple of days before Leeds. So I think it's just a case of trying to get minutes into him um, and bed him into the team that way. Um, rather than there being anything particularly wrong with bringing him on. But I do think it's just a case of you've got, sometimes as a manager, just use the options you've got on the bench to try and affect the game, even if you don't think that they're worth a starting place. Yeah. I mean, on a positive side, though, your predictions from last week were actually pretty good. The Southampton Man United one was the only one that you got both the result and the score totally wrong. But obviously, I was close though. I was close. I said two one Southampton. I wasn't. It could have been. Could have been right. You could have been, but I'm sure you'd rather be wrong on that one. <laughs> yes, it is one of the rare occasions I'm happy to be wrong. Okay, shall we move on to Liverpool's performance over the weekend? I thought if we must. <laughs> so you predicted four nil. It ended up two nil. I thought it was a professional efficient performance I thought Harvey Elliott is is someone to be really excited about for Liverpool fans I thought for an 18 year old to come into that midfield and to not notice that you've got an 18 year old playing in that midfield I thought his first touch looked unbelievable he was unfortunate not to get an assist with the Salah shot cleared not quite off the line but it off the six yard box I thought he was he was absolutely brilliant Samikas again got an assist. He's look at what a replacement for Andy Robertson at the start of the season he's been. He's second only to Zeus when it comes to Greek gods, I think. Uh, <laughs> are you just going to leave me hanging on that one? Not even no, it's, it's an audio medium, Lawrence. You can't just say... Go... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what can I... What is an audio medium, Ed? What can I not do? <laughs> well, it was a gesture. All right. Yeah, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't get that joke. I, I only went to state school, so we didn't do too much classical classical history at school i don't know my greek gods oh someone's trying to be relatable (laughs) man i'm the man of the people on this podcast (laughs) i thought trent played very well again he again he was unlucky to get another assist there was a his pass to mane that he put over the bar again if kevin de bruyne had done that we'd have been raving about it and i can't believe that over the summer 
it was even a conversation as to whether he's good enough to get in the England team. I think it's it's become one of those things with with I think at the wider Liverpool team as well is that we've sort of gone under the radar a little bit over the summer and no one's really talking about Liverpool. No one's really talking about the players that Liverpool have. They're talking about Van Dijk coming back, but that that seems to be it. They're forgetting everyone else. And I think that just suits Liverpool just fine at the moment. We're happy to be, to just carry on getting the result, being the dark horse. No one really talk about us. Let them talk about Chelsea. Let them talk about City. Let them talk about United. But I think I'm happy with, with where Liverpool are at the moment. And I think Trent has definitely come back after the setback of, you know, he was injured for the Euros, but there was a question mark as to whether he was even going to be picked. And I think he's looked an unbelievable player. I thought he always was, but he's looked even better since he's come back from that. And that's a sign of what separates a great player from a very good player, I think. Yeah, I think with, with Alexander-Arnold, I think there's... I, I, he should have... If he was fit, for me, he'd have been first choice for England if I was England manager. I think there's a tendency with him to emphasise what he's not as good at rather than focus on what he brings to a team, which is obviously excellent set-piece delivery, excellent crossing and passing ability, and he's very good going forward. But almost because he's so good going forward, the comparison to the other side of his game is exaggerated, and people say, oh, he can't defend. He can defend. He's just not as good defensively as he is going forward. And I think it's a problem United had, United in England had, when United were winning everything, in that their players got overlooked quite a lot for England in terms of either squads or their best positions in favour of some more flashy players at other clubs that were less successful. And I think sometimes at international level, England aren't particularly good at just picking players and combinations that work at club level, even if they think they've got an individual who's better at something. Um, And I think Alexander-Arnold is one of those players that is somewhat falling foul of that and having quite a cautious national team manager as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it is an epitome of lazy journalism when people talk about Alexander Arnold's defending. I think it would have been it would have been fairly accurate three, four years ago when he was eighteen. And you think if is if there's any right back that comes in as an eighteen year old and is the complete defender, then show me that right back and sign him up. But because it doesn't happen. But no, I think I think Alexander Arnold is all 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 facets of his game are better than Trippier, are better than Rhys James, are better than Wan Bissaka, and that's not me saying that they're bad players. It's just that he is an unbelievably good fullback, and I think England are lucky to have him, and certainly Liverpool are lucky to have him. But as I said, I'm perfectly happy for him going unappreciated by England and and him just playing for Liverpool. That suits me absolutely fine. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, yeah, it's really nice to see Mane back on the score sheet. He's had a had a tough back end of last season, and it's nice to see him play with a, a smile back on his face. and And he's he's just got that sharpness back. And I think he's 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 going to have a he's in for a, a big season this year because I think if he did have another quiet season, or if he does have another quiet season, then there's going to be some serious question marks as to maybe it's not just Firmino out of the front three that needs a bit of competition. Maybe it's maybe it's Mane as well. And on that note with Firmino being edged out the team, Jota two and two, very good in front of goal. I think I think he's a very exciting player and he was a big part of where it fell apart last season was was him being injured as well. So all positives I think from from the Burnley game. Yeah, I think I think Jota's been a really good signing. I wasn't that confident that he would be that good a player when Liverpool signed him. It was quite a surprise to me, but he's 
he's because he went under the radar. It was sort of it was Jota and Jimenez, but most people focused on Jimenez. And I think going to Liverpool, Jota's actually shown he's a really good player. He's worth his place in that team, and I would start him ahead of Firmino every day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd start um, me ahead of Firmino. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, but I just think he's a very clever player, and he fits into that Liverpool team really well. And I think he does bring things well he brings goals and assists to that Liverpool team in a way that I don't think Firmino does and I would play him and I think also he does actually bring some good a bit of depth to Liverpool because I still think that Liverpool are more susceptible to injuries in that I think City can handle five or six injuries to their squad I think I'm not sure I think if Liverpool got maybe two injuries out the front three, they would really struggle. And But I think bringing Jota in last season helped to address that. And I thought maybe that was a good example of Liverpool being proactive in the transfer window last summer in bringing a player in people didn't really expect that was perhaps missing at the start of this year. But obviously two wins from two, nobody's talking about transfers. So I would agree. I'd agree totally. Let's move on to Arsenal's latest outing against Chelsea. You predicted 3-0 to Chelsea. So you got the result right, but not quite the score. It ended up 2-0 to Chelsea. Uh, What were your thoughts on that game, Lawrence? Well, clearly I massively underestimated Arsenal, didn't I? Thinking they would get beat (laughs) 3-0. They just just got bullied, didn't they? They just got bullied. They, They couldn't handle Lukaku up front. And they gave, tactically, time after time, Reese James was pretty much playing on his own at the edge of Arsenal's penalty area on the right-hand side. And had he been a little bit better with his decision-making, it would have been 4 or 5 nil. Because a couple of times he had a ball across goal for another Lukaku tap-in, much like the first goal that he turned down and probably let Arsenal off the hook. But yeah, they just we know Arsenal are liable to get bullied by teams. They got bullied by Chelsea. And even more damning for them was that tactically... Arteta, who was meant to be this tactical manager, set up his team in a way that meant that the opposition could play to their strengths without any problem. It got a bit better in the second half, but I believe most of the time that when a game is won at half time, the team that are losing tend to have a better second half because the team that are winning are just saving energy, switched off a little bit. And I thought yeah, that's that... why, why the second half was as it was. Yeah, well, I spoke to, uh, it was quite funny, actually, I spoke to a mate of mine who obviously Ben Ben White was missing with COVID. And my friend reckons that after the Brentford game, he was licking the banisters trying to get COVID so he didn't have to face Lukaku after that performance. But no, I thought I thought Arsenal were, were, were toothless as usual. I mean, it's got to the point where it's what it's what we expect. Other Seemingly, everyone expects it other than Arsenal fans. I, I don't really get what the... But they they either they either go to the game with this cynical view of oh we're going to cheer for the first five minutes but then as soon as the other team start to play we're going to boo we're going to and the atmosphere just becomes really toxic or they genuinely think they're going to win every game ten nil and a surprise when it's a surprise when they don't I thought I, I watched uh, AFC TV after the after the Chelsea game because I thought you know it's always always good for a laugh and. The first thing that the guy who hosts it said was, I thought the fans were brilliant today. Now, I don't know. I obviously wasn't at the ground. I only watched it on on TV. But I thought the fans were okay for about two to three minutes. I thought there was a bit of an atmosphere. There was a bit of a 
and energy in the ground because they obviously haven't been there for ages. But as soon as Chelsea started stringing passes together, and certainly once the first goal went in, that turned so quickly. And then for the first game of the season, to boo your own team off at half-time and for a person to be saying the fans were brilliant, I don't get it. I just think it's such a London team thing. I remember in the Champions League semi-final, Chelsea beat us 3-1 at Anfield. And then in the return leg, Liverpool went 2-0 up. There was that Fabio Aurelio goal. Do you remember we caught the keeper out of the near post? And Chelsea, in a Champions League semi-final, where they're not even losing the game, the game on aggregate, they booed their team off at half-time. I just don't get it. I've never seen that at Anfield. I've never seen it at United. And to be fair, I've never seen it with any Northern team, really. It seems to just be a London thing of, oh, let's boo the team off because that, that's inspiring. <laughs> yeah, I remember, and I can't remember exactly what year it was, but it was the season Spurs first qualified for the Champions League around the time where City had money and was starting to push up towards sort of fourth place. And uh, Spurs, I think, qualified for the Champions League on the last day of the season. And then the first day of the next season, they were losing at home, first home game, and they got booed off. And you think yeah. it's just it's just bizarre. I don't I, I think booing your team off because they're losing doesn't really help other than to just prevent your own frustration. I only really understand it when fans feel that their team is not trying. Um, yeah. And that in that instance I understand it, but I really don't think it's a lack of effort. I don't really blame the Arsenal players particularly because I think they're just a mixture of not good enough and collectively they don't have enough characters in their squad. Yeah. I don't think they don't they don't try. They've just got some very obvious weaknesses that are constantly exploited. Um I also watch Arsenal, a bit of Arsenal fan TV because, well, why wouldn't you when they lose? <laughs> it's brilliant. And the one I saw, um, I think I watched a bit of Ty, who looks like the club shop has vomited on him. Um <laughs> yeah, he and was... to be fair to him, he is such an optimist. He he really tries not to to criticize Arsenal too much and try and see the bright side without really having any sort of thought behind it. But the next one I watched, or it might have even been during that, was essentially two two sides of Robbie the presenter. There were fans arguing about the result. On the left hand side of the screen, you had a a, a guy and he's a problem probably mid-twenties, saying that it's not good enough from Arteta, that he didn't make the most of this, that and the other, etc. Some fair points, some less so. But then on the right, you had a group of Arsenal fans essentially putting the loss down to the fact that Arteta's not able to pick his best team because they've got some injuries and they've got COVID. And whilst that might be true, I think who in that Arsenal squad that didn't play would really have made a difference? Yeah. I mean, no one. No, none of them. Um, and it is also the manager's job to put Arsenal have spent 150 million. They should be able to put a team out that can compete against Chelsea. And they didn't. But I think we know my thoughts on Pep Arteta and his <laughs> merry band. Well, that's it, isn't it? I've heard loads of Arsenal fans talk about they want the owner out because he doesn't spend money. I mean, they've spent the most money out of any Premier League club this summer. It's just they've signed absolute shit. Well, no, I think that's unfair. They're not absolute shit, these players, but they're just not... They're players that they have a free run at that no one else is in for. And that should be a bit of a clue that perhaps they're not Arsenal level. You know, I, I read, you know, normally I think Paul Merson is pretty average as a pundit, but I saw him this week talking about Danny Ings. Why is he not at Arsenal? 20 million or whatever he went for. He would definitely improve that Arsenal team. It's just they've got this arrogance about them as to know we only play a certain type of football. We have to let 
Joe Willock go, who's an academy player who absolutely loves the club, who's pretty good, to bring in Odegaard, who scored two goals last season in the same position. What's that about? You've got Torreira leaving as of tonight, who, yeah, granted, I don't think Torreira is the best midfielder in the world, but he's nasty. He wins the ball back and he's exactly what that midfield needs at times. Yeah, I think so. And I remember Arsenal fans were quite positive about Torreira when he first came in, precisely because he had those attributes. I do. I think there is an arrogance about Arsenal in terms of they play this brand of football that was probably only really associated with Arsene Wenger um, in the yeah, sort of, uh, early to mid yeah the, uh, yeah the early to mid part of his tenure. But the thing that and that's true. They did play some really nice football with some of the best attacking players that we probably ever had in English football. But that side was had a spine of real, or multiple Arsenal sides that were successful for Wenger, had a spine of real steel, of real hard players that allowed those attacking players to thrive and not get bullied in games um, and give the team a winning mentality. And Arsenal seemed to want that upper end of the pitch to be like those teams without putting any of the foundations in place and without yeah. having players that would do any of the dirty work. And that just, yeah, loads of teams have tried to do that. It just, I think, as we said last week, it just sort of reflected with the fact that there's no real strategy in place at Arsenal off the pitch as to how they're going to go about getting back to towards the top of, of the league. Well, it's a strange one, isn't it? I think if, if, if it's Arteta that's making the signings, then he's in trouble and he needs to start winning quick. If it's Edu that's making the signings, then they might as well just pack up and go home because what is the point in having a manager that's not able to get the players that he wants? I can't work it out whether, if it is the latter and it is Edu, I actually feel a bit sorry for Mikel Arteta because whilst I don't particularly rate him as a coach and you know his CV, I'm, so, I'm sure he put the cones out in training at City very well, but... I, I do I do think if you're going to have a manager, head coach, whatever it is you call it, they've got to be picking the transfers. They've got to be they've got to get the players that they want. Otherwise, it's just pointless. You might as well let Edu manage the team. Yeah, I think he has to surely have a say. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for the technical director to have a veto on transfers just from the perspective of looking at United when Mourinho was in charge. Mourinho wanted players for the short term because he understands that he isn't going to be there long. And I think sometimes at a modern football club, you need somebody at the club who is responsible for making sure the club operates in a certain way, brings in certain players in the sort of medium to long term, rather than them perhaps dictating every transfer. Maybe they should just be sort of guiding in the background to make sure, just try and steer the club to sort of be successful in the long term. I don't know how it works at Arsenal. I would suggest if Edu is solely or primarily responsible for transfers, then they should probably get rid of him and bring in somebody who has a bit more know-how um, and ability at that job because Arsenal have not bought well, I don't think, for quite a while. No, no, they haven't. Let's move on. Let's move on to City. So you predicted 6-0. They won 5-0. I'm going to give you that one. That was That was a pretty... Pretty pretty bang on. Where, where do we start with City? I thought the first goal was laughable. Peak Norwich coming off the defender, off the keeper's face pretty much and then in. The last goal was pretty laughable as well. And Jack Grealish, probably better goals lie ahead for him, I think. Yeah, let's hope not. But um, yeah, it, obviously, it's he didn't really have the potential to be a banana skin. But when the opposition 
contrive to smash the ball in under very little danger off their unsuspecting goalkeeper, then it really does make life easy for you. The second goal then hits Jack Grealish and goes in. And at that point, City are well on their way um, and the game is not difficult at all. I I didn't think City would be in any trouble this season just because they lost the Spurs. They clearly have been struggling with pre-season, haven't had a pre-season at all. So they'll take a few weeks to get up to speed. And I don't think games against Norwich at home are really going to tell us anything about City and their ability to go the distance this season without a striker. I don't. I think we'll see. I don't think they'll beat Arsenal at home. No trouble. Yeah, and then and then as the season, probably after that first international break when the the transfer windows closed and you start playing, you know, three times in sort of nine ten days, that's when we'll start to see about all these teams. I think I wasn't yeah. that impressed. Let's put it that way. Yes, they beat they beat Norwich five nil, and fair play to them. They are excellent at beating the crap teams at home five nil. But I don't think we learned anything at all about City from that. No, I would agree. Well, let's let's move on to the result that you got bang on, the result and the score. Leeds 2, Everton 2. Michael Keane strikes again. <laughs> yeah, I'll pretend like that prediction being correct was some sort of mystic genius rather <laughs> than the fact that they're just two teams you expect to score and concede goals, really. Um, again, it's Leeds will score and concede goals all season. I thought Everton might be a bit tighter and uh, Benitez because he is quite a, an uninspiring figure who plays football that was most successful sort of 15 years ago um, <laughs> but so far it seems like Everton are going to be a bit more open than that they have got good attacking players um, and it was quite an entertaining game they do I thought so Rafinha as well for Leeds I thought he had a really good game I think he's a very I've put him in my fantasy team he's been in there since the start I think he's due a move somewhere I thought he played. I thought he was actually. I know they lost. They lost five one against United, but he picked out a few passes and made a few runs that I thought. Do you know what? This guy's got got something about him similar to the Saint Maximan at, at Newcastle. He's he's the sort of player that you like having at a team like Leeds because you know that he's going to make something happen. Yeah, I think he's a good player. United were actually linked with Rafinha, uh, but then United linked with everybody, but they were linked with him in the summer and I wouldn't have been that unhappy if there'd actually been anything behind it even though there wasn't because he is a good he is a good player and I think he'll continue to excel you got the result right uh, Villa Newcastle in that Villa won but you you predicted 2-1 and Newcastle didn't quite manage that goal no I thought Callum Wilson might get them a goal I was pleased that Villa won because I thought having had a poor pre-season again and with a lot of new signings it's one of those situations where the team can really struggle in the first half of the season if they don't get on a, a roll early on but Danny Ings's goal was just brilliant um, yeah one of those just probably goal of the season yeah goal of the season contender I can't actually remember a lot about this game other than Danny Ings's goal and Steve Bruce's real desire to come across as wronged in some way by the <laughs> the match officials in a game where I thought the decisions were fair enough, to be honest. So I read something about Steve Bruce that I really hope is true, that apparently in his early days as a manager, he wrote a series of books about a football manager that solves crime. <laughs> it can't be true. That's got to be bullshit. Uh, no, but apparently it is. So it's on his, it's on his, I know Wikipedia, it's on his Wikipedia page. 
And what I was gonna what I was gonna suggest is that if that is true, we have to get hold of those books and we have to just do a, a, a read a chapter at the end of each at the end of each podcast. We can do a footnotes <laughs> where we read a chapter of Steve Bruce's book. <laughs> yeah, postscript. I mean, I it sounds too much like a parody to be true, but <laughs> if anybody does have those books or any knowledge of those books, then I think we would be very Eager grateful to hear from you. <laughs> very eager to hear from you <laughs> send us a a a first edition signed copy and we can get alex bruce's son on to, to read it with us that would be the ultimate i don't think any other football podcast could could compete with that <laughs> so let's just reel off the, the the rest of the results you went for a draw palace brentford you went for one all but neither of those sides looked even close to scoring really well, they, they did both hit the bar, to be fair. Yeah, it was last on match of the day. So that tells you everything, everything you need to know. But I, I think actually, to be fair, to be serious for a moment, that's <laughs> not that's not a bad point for Brentford, is it? They're beating right. Arsenal, four points out of Arsenal at home and Palace away. That's a pretty good start. Yeah, yeah, you'd take that, wouldn't you? Brighton-Watford. So you got the score right, it was 2-0. You went for Watford to win, but... Brighton, do you know what? Brighton looked decent. I know it's only two games in, but and I, I, I don't, I still don't think they'll be anywhere near the top half. But I think Brighton have definitely had a good start to the season. I think they look fitter than most other teams. Yeah, and uh, by all accounts, they generally their game was all right last season. They just really couldn't put the ball in the back of the net, and they scored. They started off the season actually being able to score some goals, which obviously helps if you want to win. If you want to win games, it does I believe that's the idea of football? <laughs> <laughs> uh, same story at Molyneux. You got the score right, one nil, but you went for Wolves when when Spurs showed their their steal with a Deli Alley penalty. Yeah, they did, and it was just about a penalty. I think, but as you said last week, Wolves in their first game of the season, their finishing was poor. In this game, their finishing was quite poor as well. They looked decent but couldn't score. Spurs also had some chances. It was one of those games where had either team won it by a goal or had the game been a draw, it would have been very hard to say that that wasn't fair enough um, because it was quite open, quite a few chances at each end. And for Spurs to win 1-0, again, six points from two tricky fixtures, that's a good start especially as they have been doing it without Harry Kane, who is obviously world-class. Yeah, we've been linked quite a lot with Adama Traore at Wolves, and I've always had the same issue with him, is that he's big, he's strong, he's quick, but he can't finish. And that that goes for, it's not just his shooting that he can't finish, he can't cross, he can't, there's no end product really with him. So that would probably improve under a coach like Jurgen Klopp, but I just, I don't, I don't rate him. He's too big. He's too big. He's too muscly. <laughs> he, no footballer needs to be that bulky. It's just insane. Like if he slimmed down a little bit, he might be more useful because it's just you're not allowed to be that strong in football. So this is just carrying around all this humongous muscle mass. It's just it just doesn't use. <laughs> Do you remember there was an interview? I think it was last season, if not the season before, where he said he doesn't lift weights, and even the interviewer was looking at him like bollocks you don't lift weights <laughs> look at you <laughs> I would I would suggest it's all natural should, I was born like this well he he should probably not go down that route and should tell people he does lift weights because if he's got that muscly by not lifting weights then there are some pretty serious questions for him to answer about how he's how yeah. he's got all that muscle mass I think once um, he, he gets obviously the, 
Well, he might be a member of the, the Russian Olympic team. <laughs> I'll put it that way. I think there's going to be a, a urine sample request <laughs> coming pretty quickly after, after that interview re- was released. West Ham Leicester. You went for a West Ham win, but I don't think anyone could have predicted that they'd score four against Leicester. I thought West Ham were brilliant. Yeah, top of the league, West Ham. Eight, game, uh, eight goals in two games. Yeah, they, again, in our preview show, episode one, which was probably about as good as um, the Phantom Menace, if we're comparing <laughs> <laughs> relative merits of episode ones, we, or I, to be more accurate, suggested that I could see West Ham having a disappointing season and finishing 15th. Turns out they're actually on a bit of a roll to start the season and have, if anything, played even better football this year than they have last year. And to beat Leicester 4-1 is a cracking result because Leicester are a better team than West Ham. Yeah, I think West Ham are looking very good. I think, well, let's let's do this debate quicker than they did on Sky Sports where they dragged it out for almost an hour but I didn't think there was any question really Perez was it a red? Uh, I'll be honest I didn't see it the oh. old Arsene the Arsene Wenger excuse <laughs> oh, well, I didn't I didn't see it well that's that's excellent that is excellent punditry <laughs> well I could have I could have just agreed with you but I, I felt honesty was the best the best policy no that's fine was, was it was it a red? Yes, I thought oh, I'm was, interested to know. <laughs> I thought it was 100%. Go back and watch it. He sort of he lunges out for the ball. I don't it's not intentional, but he connects his studs about halfway up the bloke's shin. It's just it's definitely a red card, it's especially as as soon as you go to VAR, it's not going to look any better on a replay. And I thought the referee actually got that right. I don't think there could be much much complaint from Leicester to be honest. I'm just looking at it now. Um yeah, I mean I can see why he's been sent off. I think it's hard to argue in the way games are refereed now that it's a red card. Yeah. I mean if I that's on if it. that's if that's on Bruno Fernandez from a Burnley player though, you're screaming at the TV to get him sent off. There's no there's if any any fan who that that tackle comes in against any of your players, you're screaming for a red. I don't think anyone can really can really have much of an issue with it. No, the only the only thing I have in that is that I do wish they looked at intent sometimes. I think there was a couple of instances last season where they slowed something down in slow motion and it looked bad. But when you understand these things happening really high speed, I think you should look at intent. But the way the game's refereed, yeah, that's a, that's going to be a red card. Sure, but, they, but even in even in rugby, they look at mitigating circumstances and they look at intent. But ultimately, it's the player's responsibility the tackling player's responsibility to ensure the safety of the player that he's tackling. So if you drop someone on your head in rug on in rugby, you're getting sent off, regardless of whether you meant to or not. And I think with that, yeah, I can agree Perez hasn't set out to hurt him. But if that player's then out for the season, it's kind of a you know, you can't you you can't really defend a tackle like that. He's mis he's misplaced the ball and he's lunged at, at the ball to an oncoming player. I don't think I think there's there's very few there isn't really a mitigating factor in that tackle, is there? He's he's lunged for the ball, he's missed the ball, he's got the player. Whether he's meant to or not, is that is that really relevant? I think it should be, because I think there should be a higher threshold for people getting sent off. Um, I don't think accidentally breaking the rule where he hasn't hurt anybody necessarily means he should definitely be sent off. But I can you know, I can see why in that instance he did get sent off. So if that yeah. was a United player getting sent off for that, then I wouldn't be feeling particularly hard done by. No, I think that's as close to a, an agreement as we're going to get <laughs> <laughs> on that. 
Klopp and Solskjaer were united this week in their comments on the referees. We, I mean, we made the comment last week that we actually quite liked that the, the refs are letting a lot more go. And then both our team's managers come out <laughs> a few days later <laughs> and say that it's it's going backwards and we should watch wrestling if we like that sort of thing or we or we should watch rugby. I mean, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, complete bollocks, to be honest, <laughs> to, both, to, to both of them. I didn't watch all of the Liverpool game and I didn't particularly see Burnley do anything that I thought was taking the physicality that they are allowed within the rules of the game too far for Klopp. Klopp does like a whinge from time to time, as all managers do. And I, but I thought he was completely wrong. You're allowed to be physical. And I think the increased physicality that they've said you're allowed this year has been a good has been a good balance and it's improved the game. I think Ollie's was born out of he felt Fernandez was fouled for the Southampton opener. He wasn't. It was just a good, strong tackle. The player is allowed to use a bit of strength against a player who is technically better than him. I don't see anything wrong with that. Players using the attributes they have against one another. Sometimes Fernandez isn't is a much better player than the Southampton player. So that Southampton player has got to be allowed to compete in other ways. Otherwise, there's literally no point playing the game. It wasn't a foul. It was a good tackle. Um, and there certainly wasn't anything else in that United-Southampton game where I thought the tackling was over the top from either team. So, yeah, I thought both of them were just wrong on all counts. Yeah, I would agree. I think they've forgotten that fans have requested as well that refs, the refs let, the, let the play go a bit more. What I will say, though, is there were a few instances of off-the-ball stuff with Burnley where there was one where I think it was... I think it was Trent out wide and Jota's run into the box and the Burnley player has literally just run straight into him, knocked him over. I mean, it should have been a penalty, even though it's off the ball, but he's literally just come in and barged him over. There was a few other instances where, but you kind of, there's one part of me that thinks, well, it's par for the course when you're playing Burnley, you know exactly what you're going to come up against. But then there's the other side where, yeah, we do have to protect the players. And I think the only thing, I'm not suggesting that it's gone this far yet, but what I don't want to happen is for the referees to use it as an excuse to shirk their responsibilities of keeping the, the players safe. What you don't want is another horror tackle like Jordan Pickford on Van Dyke last year or Richarlison on Thiago in that same game where it just gets so out of hand that the players aren't protected anymore. And as I said, I'm not suggesting that it's got that far yet, but we know what these referees are like. We know how they like to just go, well, look, it's not me. It's, it's the rules. It's the uh, so I don't want them to hide behind this new rule of being able to just go, oh, yeah, we're not going to send players off when we perhaps should just to avoid making a decision, which they so often like to do. I do agree with you that they will quite often make no decision rather than a decision. I think that's fair. We've seen Michael Oliver do it particularly a lot around second yellow cards. He will just not give an obvious foul because he doesn't want to decide whether to send the player off. But I do actually disagree in terms of the referees and their responsibilities. And I might be wrong in terms of what the official guidance is to referees, but I don't think it's the referee's responsibility to manage a game. I think the referee's responsibility is to enforce the laws. It's, I don't think it's right when the referees start going around telling players to calm down. Sometimes if there's sort of two or three fair but full-blooded challenges within the space of sort of four or five seconds. 
they'll instinctively blow to give a free kick just to calm things down. I don't think stuff like that is their job. Their job is literally to enforce the rules if a player goes over the top and does something that means they should get sent off, then the referee is there to send them off. I don't think it's fair for them to proactively manage a game like that. And I think as long as they're consistent within a game, then I don't mind if they let Burnley have a little bit more physicality than perhaps they do when Arsenal play against Leeds or something. I don't mind that as long as it's fair both ways. I don't think... I think sometimes, and United had it last season when they played Burnley, Harry Maguire scored a great header at the back post that was ruled out for absolutely nothing. And the Burnley players got away with being just as physical as they usually are. Yeah. I think you have, it has to be consistent within a game. Doesn't won't necessarily always be consistent across games because different referees have different interpretations of things. But as long as the reps are consistent in allowing the same things for both teams, then I really don't have a problem with it. I understand what you mean about game management, but player safety is does fall under the referee's remit. I mean, we've seen that in, obviously in a far more extreme circumstance, but Christian Eriksen at the Euros, the referee's job is to ensure that the players are safe. And I know that, that that was a very extreme example, but it does include tackling. I think it's perfectly fair enough for a referee to go up to a player who's put in a horrendous tackle. And if he doesn't think it's a red card to say to him, yeah, that's don't do that again. I think that's I think that's perfectly Yeah, I think that's fine. But I think that is just I think that is just part of them applying the laws of the game. If he's giving the player a yellow card, I don't have any problem with the ref saying that was that's borderline red or something. Um, but I, I just don't I don't the player safety thing, the Ericsson thing, the referee's reacting to it, it's not not saying that every time somebody looks like there's something wrong, we must stop the game immediately and check they're okay. Um, no, and I'm not that, suggesting that, that either. But, but that's why I think some people with player safety, yes, you want players to be safe, but it's a professional contact sport. Sometimes people will get hurt doing yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I think that's just, you just have to accept that in all sports. Yes, people can try and do things to minimise the danger, but not at the expense of actually taking away the essence of that sport and I think football has lost that a bit with the tackling I think there's been too much we must make sure nobody ever gets hurt and you've lost a lot of physicality that I think makes the game better you don't have to play football if you're worried about getting your leg broken you can you can go and, you can go and do something else <laughs> no um, I understand that but I mean when when Ben Mee snaps Bruno Fernandez's leg and <laughs> I'll, I'll replay well, if he's sent off if he's sent off then that's the referee doing his job um, <laughs> But now it'll probably go to VAR. VAR will say there was an offside in the build-up, so, oh, so well, no yeah, red card. That's, that's another thing because there was there was an instance of that this week, wasn't there, where they where there was a penalty given, and then they went back, and it's like, well, hang on, you don't just get a free hit because it's offside. Well, he booked him, didn't he? He booked him. Yeah. It was the Villa, Villa Newcastle. It yeah. was again had the referee sent Martinez off. I don't think anybody could have complained, but the referee gave a yellow. And I, as I said last week, I don't really like VAR. I'm fine with VAR siding with whatever the referee's given 90% of the time. I don't think it was such a shocking decision that it was instantly everybody thought it should be a red. I thought that was kind of fine. There were a few close offsides, weren't there? And a lot of people whinging, Steve Bruce whinging about the, the fact that people seem to be under the illusion that there will be no close offsides this season. 
which is not the case. They've just upped the threshold a bit so that if those stupid lines on the screen touch at all, then it's onside, um, which obviously means you can get away with a bit more, but there will still be instances like on the weekend where the lines nearly touch but don't yeah. Yeah. Um, that will result in offside. Maybe they could have made the lines even thicker for it to be, you know, really noticeably offside for offside to be given. But again, if you're going to go into that much detail with drawing stupid lines on the screen, then that's what you're signing up for. Don't be surprised when you get piddly decisions that look wrong to the naked eye. You can't then moan about it. You've got people wanting VAR. Nobody's really kicked up that much of a fuss about it. So don't be surprised when it's it fucks the game when it's shit especially when we can't hear the referees communicating with each other we've got no idea how they've come to that decision and there are some instances even where they'll draw the lines it will look onside and you'll think great we've scored and then you'll blink and they'll have redrawn the lines and now it's offside and you think well what what the fucks we might as well yeah you know can i I draw the lines? yeah (laughs) yeah i i don't actually think they should use the lines i think unless it is obviously offside to the naked eye then you could probably just go with whatever the linesman's, or unless it's obviously wrong, you could just go with whatever the linesman's gone with. But I am actually quite happy we can't see them drawing the lines this season, just because it is such a basic process. It looks so bad when they do it that yeah. it just it doesn't give you any confidence that this is right. Whoever has sold the Premier League this technology must be laughing because they've literally like it's not scientific at all. The referee has to go with his mouse and click on different bits and lines of it. It's just, yeah, I'm glad we can't see that because it's slightly less frustrating when you like then year see five the, the IT class, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's that <laughs> bad. <laughs> Terrible. Right, well, let's have a new segment this week, which I'd like to call Lazy Journalism. My lazy journalist of the week, and this might spark off another another little tiff, Lawrence, is uh, is Gary Neville. And the reason that I'm going to call him my lazy journalist of the week is because of a comment he made on Monday Night Football about United and their squad and Liverpool and their squad. And I think it's perfectly fine for him to be biased towards United. I don't mind that at all. In fact, I'd find it incredibly disingenuous if he wasn't. But the fact that he said that the difference between their two squads is that United are a better place to deal with injuries than Liverpool are. Now, based on this season, that may, and that may turn out to be true. But surely the evidence for that, you have to go on what happened last season. Liverpool had... Well, we obviously had Van Dijk injured. We had Gomez out for the season. We had Matip out for the season. No one really playing at, at centre-back. Trent Alexander-Arnold was out for about two months. Alisson missed about eight games. Henderson was out for months as well. Thiago hardly played. Fabinho was injured. Jota was injured. If you took that many players, and they still finished third, only six points behind, behind that United team. So I would say that that's dealing with injuries pretty well. And I don't think this is too reductive, but if you took Harry Maguire out of that United team alongside, let me say, Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba, Mason Greenwood, you know, whoever, 
are United going to finish third this season? I don't know. Maybe they will. But I just thought it was an it was an incredibly stupid thing to say and really lazy and overly simplistic way of going, oh, well, United have, have made a few signings this summer. That means their squad is more is has more depth than Liverpool's. It was just such a stupid thing to say that clearly wasn't very thought through. So lazy journalist of the week, step forward, Gary Neville. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I have a bit of a thing for football predictions because... At the end of the day, <laughs> you don't. They get these pundits and they'll give you all these predictions about what's going to happen, but they don't. You don't know until it happens. So, no. in, es- in essence, the whole thing is pointless. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> should, we, should we stop but, recording now? Then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, you know, there is literally no way of proving that statement that he's made because United didn't have a comparable number of injuries to Liverpool last season and unless both sets both teams have the same injury crisis this season then then it's literally just something that he has said to fill the hour of build-up that they have on Monday night Monday night football but I expected quite lazy I expected yeah but it's just he's normally he's normally quite analytical and he's quite facts and evidence-based but that was just a it wasn't even a throwaway comment he went on about it for a good sort of three, four minutes, and you th- uh, without a shred of evidence, without a shred of, you know. Well, that's what written. I mean. I don't. How do you? How do you go about proving that that statement? It just, it's not the sort well, of thing you the, can. The evidence would suggest that the teams were six points apart last season. One of them had eight first yeah. team players injured for most of the season. One of them didn't. One of yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, United with, did with have injuries. United did have injuries to big players throughout the season as well. And they had pretty much given up the ghost 30 games in because they effectively wrapped up second place and had to play. I mean, we had, I think we had games Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday at one point. So I don't, I don't think that there's that much to read into it. Well, let's, build up the games for this week then so the early kickoff lunchtime on Saturday doesn't get any easier for Arsenal does it no I mean you can do the you can do the predictions this week I think um, if I may offer you some friendly advice I would suggest that you go for a heavy home win um, (laughs) in that first game I don't see Arsenal getting anything out of it master against the apprentice obviously well that's how Guardiola yes it is it is um, and it's just going to be a routine win for City isn't it having just devalued any football predictions um, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think what, what's your score for this one I'm going to go 3-1 I think Arsenal might nick a goal uh, it's dependent well they have on... to score sometime don't they they do well, actually exact, have to score exactly. a goal and I think ironically City are actually you know they're pretty they're de- defensively I think City suits Arsenal go, Arsenal's attack because they do play quite a high line. And I think as, if Aubameyang's back, I'm not sure if he is, and Lacazette's back, I could see them nicking a goal. Uh, but I'm going to go 3-1 City. Yeah. I, I, I think Arsenal will take that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they will as well. So on to the three o'clocks then. I'll just go through them in what I assume is alphabetical order, but don't hold me to that. Aston Villa versus Brentford. Oh, the Ollie Watkins derby. The Ollie Watkins derby. <laughs> I'm going to go 2-0 Villa. Brighton-Everton. Oh, 
He's meant to be quick fire, Ed. Yeah, quick sorry, fire. that's a tough one. I haven't thought about that one. Uh, well, I can't do an Everton win, so 2-1 Brighton. This is a, a relegation six-pointer, Newcastle, <laughs> Southampton. I think it's got draw written all over it. Both teams can't really score goals. I'm going to go nil-nil. Oh, well, let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Norwich, Leicester. Oh, the James Madison derby. 3-0 Leicester. Yeah, um, obviously Norwich aren't going to get any points this season if we have anything to do with it. <laughs> we will predict them to lose every week. <laughs> yeah, I think we will. <laughs> uh, and the final three o'clock game, West Ham Palace. Well, West Ham seem to score four goals every week, so I'm going to go four-nil. To West Ham? To West, no, to Palace. No, to West Ham. <laughs> well, that would have been, I was <laughs> hoping you were going to say nil-nil or something. Um, then obviously the probably the highlight of the weekend, Liverpool Chelsea. What are your thoughts well, on that as well as your score prediction? So my thoughts on that, and again, and this nearly made it into lazy journalism segment, is every article I've seen on Sky Sports about the build-up to this game has been how are Liverpool going to deal with Lukaku? Now, don't get me wrong, Lukaku's obviously a very good player. He's a very exciting player. People are thrilled to have him back in the league. Great. But he's played once against an Arsenal defence that were also bullied by Brentford. So let's not get too ahead of ourselves. We've got, I I think the defences are incomparable, Liverpool and Arsenal. I think it's a completely different different animal for Lukaku to come up against. And also, I think it's a bit, how are Chelsea's defence going to deal with Salah? Why don't we talk about that? But again, it's, it's it's, it's one of those things where I'm perfectly happy to go under the radar with that. I think Lukaku famously doesn't do that well against Liverpool, particularly at Anfield. So I think Liverpool will win and I think we'll win 2-0. I'm quite looking forward to this. Um, I've tipped Chelsea to do quite well this season, but I think this is their first real test this season. They've obviously done well under Tuchel in the big games, won the Champions League final. That's quite a big game. <laughs> um, but they have the knack of beating City and I almost think it's a clash of two styles City-Chelsea I think Chelsea-Liverpool there's a bit more feeling in the game um, than yeah. there is Chelsea-City is a battle of the soulless really um, <laughs> whereas Liverpool have got the tradition Chelsea have had the money for a while there's a bit of needle there um, I'm really looking forward to this I think uh, the atmosphere as well at Anfield I think yeah. because it's Chelsea I think they're going to really get on top of on top of these Chelsea players, and I think the 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 mood at Anfield at the moment is really good. It'll be interesting to see how much Klopp trusts Harvey Elliott, whether he plays him again, uh, especially with Thiago and Henderson coming back into contention this week. But I just think it's got it, it's. It, I think Liverpool will just have the the know how. I think just Chelsea team are still a bit still a bit green, still a bit wet behind the ears, and I, th- I think I think Liverpool will grind out a two 0 win. Yeah, I think there's more to gain for Chelsea in that I think if Liverpool win, then people will say you'd expect Liverpool or that Liverpool winning at home to Chelsea is not unexpected. And if Liverpool lose, then because Liverpool have gone under the radar, nobody's, not many people have tipped them for the league. I don't think it will make the same shockwaves as if, say, Chelsea beat City at this stage of the season because everybody's predicting City will win. I think for Chelsea, if they can go and win, then that's a massive statement for them this season. I think they'll get a lot of confidence for it uh, from it. Whereas I feel for Liverpool, if they win, people would just say they're at home. You expect Liverpool to win. And if they don't, then it's sort of, I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure where, how Liverpool can 
unless they hammer Chelsea, I feel people won't give them that much credit, even if they win, because people will just yeah. sort of expect it. Whereas if Chelsea win, I think you're right. I think people will pile on, say Chelsea can win the league, blah blah blah. But I yeah. think that. So. I just still don't think I, I don't think Chelsea's goalkeeper is is up to winning the league, and I, I think their defense is still they haven't really been threatened, have they? I mean, they've played Palace and they've played Arsenal. So no, they haven't conceded many goals since um, Tuchel has come in, and this is one of the reasons I'm looking forward to the game is to see how do Chelsea do in this fixture against Liverpool with a crowd in that will be hostile and there will be a good atmosphere. That's not something that Chelsea have had to face. Um, and no. the two obviously, obviously, and it is a big part of the game. So, and I'm also interested to see how Lukaku does. He hasn't got a good record in the big games in England. I thought in the Euros he had a good Euros, but that game against Italy, there are a couple of chances that he had to score um, that would have changed the game. And the ball sort of contrived to hit him and stay out the goal, which is yeah. the Lukaku that I know from his time at United. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody said that he's gone away to winter and become almost, you know, Lukaku 2.0. I'm really interested to see because I thought he was good against Arsenal and he did bully the defenders. I'm interested to see how he get, how he goes in this game. I don't, I didn't dislike him at United. I thought he always tried and I don't wish him ill, but I'm just really interested to see how this Chelsea team get on and also to see how Liverpool fare, to see if they are the real deal this year. Or not, I think this game will tell us a lot. So naturally, it probably end in a very boring one-one draw, <laughs> where, where both teams settle for a point early on. <laughs> so what? So remind me, what was you said? Two 0 Liverpool for that one. Two 0 Yeah. I would expect nothing less from you. Um, <laughs> you are the um, Mark Lawrenson of our football predictor. I don't think he ever predicts Liverpool to lose. No, I will. I will be predicting Liverpool to lose a few games this year. I just don't think this is one of them. I think we're perfectly set up to play against this Chelsea team. I think we have too much going forward for their defence. And as I said, I think Lukaku will be nullified by Van Dijk. And I think the other creative players that they have in Mount and Havertz will buckle under the pressure. But we'll see. They'll probably dick us 5-0 now. (laughs) On that note, we'll move on to um, what I'm sure Sky will call Super Sunday. But I would (laughs) suggest if they are calling it that, then they may leave themselves liable to being sued for false advertising. First up at two o'clock is Burnley Leeds. What do you reckon on that one? Yeah, I think there'll be a few goals. I think I think 3-2, but to be honest, it could be 3-2 either way, but I'm going to go with Leeds. I think Leeds are due, due a win. I fancy a red card in that game. Yeah, I don't know why. I just feel there'll be a red card. Um, also on at two o'clock by virtue of having to play in the UEFA Conference League um, every 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 day of the week. I think Spurs have to play in this. Um, Spurs sometimes Watford in the morning, and sometimes in the morning, <laughs> sometimes twice twice a day. <laughs> Spurs Watford. Yeah, I think this one depends whether Harry Kane comes back into contention. But I could see. I think it's it's all been going a little bit too well at Spurs, and I could see them dropping points here. So I'm actually going to go one all. Yeah, I, I fancy that Spurs. Exactly that reason. It's gone too well for Spurs. It's about time they threw in a horrible 1-0 home defeat or something like that. So I, I respect that prediction. <laughs> um, then then on to the biggest and final game of the weekend, um, Wolves United. Yeah, well, I'm probably going to make myself look like an idiot here, but I don't, I don't seem to think United's record at Wolves is that good, but maybe it is. 
I can't really remember the last few games, but I've, I've no, they've been feeling. very boring games. Yeah, I'll give you that. I've got a feeling that the record isn't that good. I mean, that being said, I don't think Wolves can finish. So what I think will happen is Wolves will go one nil up reasonably early on, and I think United will come back and win about three one. Yeah, I, United won their last game of last season with a team of children out just before <laughs> the Europa League final. Um, I know we got knocked out the FA Cup there a couple of years ago. Generally, since Wolves have come back up, the games have been draws, fairly boring draws. Um, I wouldn't be shocked um, to continue the game you played last week, which Wolves player is going to score either a last-minute winner, a worldie, or a skanky deflection this week. Oh, well, we've slagged him off enough, so it's got to be Adama Traore, I think. I reckon Ruben Neves, because he scores about one goal a season, so he's exactly (laughs) the sort of player that, that will do that. Or Jao um, Matinho, does he still play for them? Uh, yes, I believe he has had both of his COVID vaccinations, so he's allowed out from his care home um, <laughs> to play football again. He is so old. He has been about thir- he's been about 38 for the last 10 years. Yeah. That man. Yeah. But, but that is the weekend's fixtures. Okay. So our next feature, which started last week, do you know what really grinds my gears? I believe Lawrence's gears have been grinded this week. What What's grinding your gears, Lawrence? Well, it was something in the United-Southampton game, and it is quite similar to what you picked last week in that it's around free kicks. Um, but it is something that's really pissed me off since they brought it in. The idea of spraying a line 10 yards away was a really simple, good idea that should have been impossible to fuck up. Should have been idiot-proof. And yet every single free kick that is given where the spray comes out, they proceed to just let the the wall walk in front of the the spray to the point where it is obvious that their boots are in front of the white line they've sprayed because you can no longer see the white line. And then inevitably the free kick is smashed against the wall and everything everything is just played. You just play on. I don't know how much they spent, like, since they brought in this white spray, but it whatever they've spent has been a complete waste of money because <laughs> just every single free kick, every time it happens, it does really annoy me. So another segment from last week, moment of the week. And Lawrence has got another one this week. What's your moment this week, Lawrence? Yeah, just in case Ed cuts that out, it's because he was supposed to come up with one and couldn't. Um, so I've had to step in and, and do well, it I'm again. Gonna cut, I'm going to cut that out now. <laughs> that is the power you have as, as editor-in-chief. Um, <laughs> There's two parts of this, really. And the moment is Erdegaard's unveiling on the pitch as, an, as a permanent Arsenal player. Um, obviously, when United did it with Varane, A, it was a bit more exciting because it's a player who's actually half-decent at football. Um, <laughs> and it really, it really whipped the crowd up and there was a really good atmosphere before Leeds. And it was sort of a throwback to when stuff used to get announced on the pitch um, before games in a, a simpler time. Um, so Arsenal tried to sort of do the same thing with... Erdegaard on the weekend before the Chelsea game, um, except he sort of walked out onto the pitch without any real introduction, didn't get very far onto the pitch. Nobody really noticed he was there. He got a polite ripple of applause from the people next to the tunnel who recognised that he was Arsenal's new signing. He didn't have a shirt or a scarf or anything. And then sort of as soon as he crossed the white line, it was obvious it had all gone wrong and he sort of turned around and walked back off, and it was just somewhat symbolic of Arsenal. I felt the whole incident. 
So it was very, perhaps low key. I don't know if everyone would have noticed it, but I did. I knew that was my moment of the week before I'd even seen the rest of the weekend's football. I've noticed a theme with your moments of the week. Both of them have involved Arsenal and laughing at <laughs> Arsenal's expense. Well, I did have a third as well, as you know, because we discussed it before we started. And I hope other people noticed this, but it was the absolute state of Rob Holding's haircut. He shaved. He looked like he'd shaved his own head, but he looked like he'd done it with different grades at different times of the week. So he'd done a grade one for bits of it, grade two for other bits of his hair. And it was bad. But it got worse once it started raining because then you could really see the difference. <laughs> um, but I, that was a close second and another Arsenal moment. It won't all be Arsenal moments, so they can maybe he was trying to put off Lukaku. It's a very bold tactic if that was what he was going for, <laughs> and it's it's not. If it was somebody like Antonio Rudiger or Eric Bailly, that's absolutely the sort of crazy shit I could imagine them doing. But Rob Rob Holding just seems too conservative to not really wanting to be noticed to try anything that radical. Maybe he well, should. Always the quiet ones. Yeah. <laughs> <Is it? laughs> that can be the title of this episode. What? Always the quiet ones? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, Lawrence, do we have... Do we have an email address for our listeners this week? We do. We do have an email address because I remember to set it up in so if you fif- want to, 15 minutes before the pod started. If you want to send us extracts from Steve Bruce's book series, if you want to send us in questions or comments or anything that you'd like us to discuss or argue about, then send it in to ledfootballpod at gmail.com. Nice. We also have a Twitter page as well that we'll be tweeting at from time to time. Do we? What's Might that? Just... I don't have Twitter. How does how does what what's our Twitter handle? Well, you won't you won't get to see it then. It will mostly be pictures of Phil Jones, I imagine, um, <laughs> as all good Twitter pages are. But this is this is in keeping with the email address. Our Twitter handle is at led underscore football. So you know if you want to see our awesome social media content and give us a follow. You probably won't want to miss out. <laughs> people are going to, people are going to follow it and there's just going to be nothing posted on it ever. I I have done one tweet from it so far. Have you? What have you tweeted? Just said that we're about to record episode three of the pod. Oh, as a, as nice. a hello. I was going to come up with a, I was trying to come up with some sort of revenge of the Sith episode three pun, but I didn't have time and my brain doesn't really work like that. So I couldn't come up with anything good to to hashtag on the end of that. Well, with content like that, the followers are just going to, they're just going to roll <laughs> in, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the one and only tweet that we ever send. Yeah. Before we just, we just go into retirement. Administration. Yeah. We'll get a points deduction. That's right. I think so. On that note, I think that's it from us. So we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Yes, goodbye. Klopp and Scholzgott, how do you pronounce his name? Take three. Why don't you just call him Ollie? Because I don't know him. (laughs) It's Solskjaer. (laughs) Solskjaer. Some sort of cut music or sound yeah. effects. We haven't had many sound effects so far. I don't know if that's something you can... 
Oh, you can weave I'll get in. right on that. <laughs> you can I'll get be right like on that one of those. free unpaid editing job that I do. <laughs>